It is Thursday, September 14th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callums. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Today, residents of Tawnytown are worried about the elevated number of fires inside the region's sole landfill. My only concern as a citizen, uh, not trying to uh, you know, come at the role as the fire chief, is do they have enough equipment and qualified personnel to be able to handle all the emergencies and incidents that they have out there. Plus, celebrating the historical significance of Cane Hill. On the far side, you can see the sorghum shed in the, the corner there. Jared will be out there with the, the crew supervising, and you can barely see where the press is, where the draft horse will be. And a possible debt-free pathway to a diploma at an Arkansas college. Even when someone is considering the aid they have available, there's that unmet need. First, the news from NPR. Hill City Rumble Vintage Motorcycle Show takes place September 16th from 2 to 8 p.m. at Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville. This family-friendly event will feature food trucks, vendors, and music. Performances include The Flims and TV Preacher. More information at experiencefayetteville.com. Historic Cane Hill presents the Cane Hill Harvest Festival Saturday, September 16th, just 20 miles south of Fayetteville. This day of community traditions and family activities kicks off with an Ozark Country breakfast and features live music, crafts, and demonstrations. Guests can also enjoy the Arts and Eats Market, Kids Zone, and more. Full schedule and tickets at historiccanehillar.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, September 14th, 2023. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kellums. Later this hour, could a new program announced at the University of Central Arkansas this month prove to be a new pathway to attend college without going into debt? We'll learn more about the UCA commitment when Central Arkansas President Houston Davis talks with Roby Brock as part of this week's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. But first, while Northwest Arkansas's lone landfill increases in size, residents of its hometown have concerns about its impact, including landfill fires. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope wanted to look into the causes of landfill fires, mitigation tactics, and how growth affects the landfill. Tawnytown Fire Chief Mark Ramsey and his wife knew they would live near a landfill when they moved to Tawnytown. Yeah, I started as a, a volunteer and part-time fireman with the Tawnytown Area Fire Department in 2016. Jumped on board with the city of Tawnytown full-time in 2019 as the fire marshal. Since he started working at the city's fire department, Ramsey says the department has responded to 13 fires from 2016 to 2023 at the EcoVista landfill. He worked in the roles of a firefighter and fire investigator in the responses. Ramsey says the department can control certain fires, but he is worried about the more severe fires the department helped extinguish. We've uh, brought in our mutual aid and automatic aid departments to help combat those fires. We've had 10 different departments on scene before, and there's not enough trucks, not enough water, not enough personnel to do a dent of, of damage against a fire out there. The only thing that works is burying these fires. When a fire is buried, Ramsey says it is more difficult to find out the cause. He says the trash service is necessary, but he is concerned about the fires as the landfill expands. The Tawnytown landfill is growing because it needs more room. It's the main landfill for northwest Arkansas, an area where the population is expected to double and reach about 1 million people in 2045. Tawnytown residents are against landfill expansion, citing health and environmental concerns. Fact. Tawnytown City Council rejected Class 1 and Class 4 landfill expansion unanimously twice 
the first time on November 3rd, filed with the Washington County Courthouse. Pollution Control and Ecology Regulation 22.204, why I know that, I don't know. 22.204 states, the host city, Tiny Town, must approve a new landfill or an expansion. Thousands of landfill fires burn across the nation every year, according to the U.S. Fire Administration. Landfills often act to extinguish fires. This includes smothering them with soil, moving burning material to safe areas, or temporarily shutting down the gas extraction system before reaching out to local fire departments. When the Arkansas Department of Environmental Quality is informed of them, it investigates the fires. Fires in the landfill can be on the surface or underground. Peak times for landfill fires are spring and summer, and there are other factors like gas production. A common gas landfills produce is methane when trash decomposes. Ozarks at large reached out to Win Zhang, an associate professor in the University of Arkansas's Civil Engineering Department, to learn more about landfill fires. Zhang says methane production is not consistent because it depends on the type of waste, how much trash is thrown away, and the rate material is degraded. Like time also plays a role here. You know, maybe during the more active years, there's more methane produced and then could be more fire. But over time, when the methane produced start to decrease or eventually just become less and less, and people probably don't need to worry about that so much. Landfills can prevent fires through management, like inspecting incoming waste. Some landfills, like EcoVista, have a landfill gas collection system to draw out methane. Gas is extracted from the landfill through wells and pipes. Then it's processed and is turned into energy. Now, if the system is operating well, so the gas should be collected into their gas channel. And in Tonti Town, they do have a quite sophisticated, I guess, equipment to burn these gas and then to produce electricity. And I do know like they are connected with Ozark Electric. So basically it's almost like a, everyone's solar system where they can sell these electricity to the Ozark Electric. So that's in general how things work. Ozarks at large reached out to waste management to speak with someone about this story. A spokesperson for the company responded that it did not have any information to provide at this time. There have been different causes of fires at EcoVista, including vehicle fires and improperly disposed batteries. The landfill does not dispose of hazardous material. Its Class 1 landfill collects household waste, and its Class 4 landfill takes in construction materials. Zhang says it's important for people to know what can be thrown away at the landfill. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 1, I'm Anna Pope. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Timothy Dennis. And Timothy, later this month, the on-air fundraising portion of fall 2023, but you can give right now. Yeah, you can always make a gift to KUAF, support Ozarks at Large, and everything you rely on from KUAF at supportkuaf.com. And thank you.
Ahead on today's show, this weekend's Cane Hill Harvest Fest, we'll have a country breakfast. It'll have blacksmithing, it'll have antique tractors, live music, and sorghum. The smell is something that I've always brings memories back for me, you know. Uh, every time they're cooking sorghum, the smell is really good. I like the smell better than the taste, but it's... <laughs> we spend some time in historic Cane Hill ahead on today's Ozarks at Large. Every day... You hear lots of news on Ozarks at Large. But have you ever wanted to test your listening skills? Now you can with KOAF's Word Puzzle. It's just like your other favorite daily word games that feature five-letter words and color-based hints. But you might even get a hint from the previous day's Ozarks at Large broadcast. Go to KOAF's website or newsword.org slash KUAF to start playing daily puzzles now. The CDC has announced the release of the updated COVID-19 vaccine. The new shots could be in pharmacies as early as tomorrow. Dr. Stephen Brown, an attending physician at Mercy Hospital in St. Louis, says the COVID vaccine has evolved since the original in 2020 to keep up with the ever-changing nature of the virus. So now we're dealing with a series of uh, sub-variants that are all very similar to the uh, vaccine uh, and are covered well by the vaccine because they vary by one or two mutations in their genetic sequence. So uh, it's covered and there's robust vaccine efficacy, which we don't have now. Dr. Brown says people who should prioritize getting vaccinated include those over the age of 65, people in institutional settings like nursing homes or prisons, those with comorbidities like underlying lung disease or asthma, as well as immunocompromised people. He says it's recommended that children get the vaccine as well. For children aged five months and up, and there are different recommendations depending upon prior vaccines and the age of the child and what vaccine they may have received. But uh, this new vaccine is uh, recommended Every child, you know, they may need to get two or three vaccines, but one of those vaccines should include this new one, which covers the current variant that's circulating. During the special session of the Arkansas legislature, a new law is expected to be passed prohibiting the government mandating COVID-19 vaccines for government employees. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has said she will also publish the potential negative side effects of the COVID vaccine. Dr. Brown says for people in their late teens and early 20s, there is a small risk of myocarditis. And you need to weigh that risk versus the risk of dying from COVID-19. I've taken care of hundreds and hundreds of people since the year 2020 in the intensive care unit. I can say emphatically that among those patients, which include hundreds and hundreds of people who've died, who I've tried to take care of, the vast, vast majority, way over 90% of those who died were not vaccinated. You can find details about the vaccine update on the CDC website. The University of Arkansas's chemical engineering department is receiving a $10 million gift from an alum who died last month. Rick Moore made plans for the gift before he passed away in late August. The planned gift will endow funds for scholarships, a professorship, faculty recruitment, and provide additional funds to benefit the Ralph E. Martin Department of Chemical Engineering. The scholarships will give preference to students from Arkansas and those who work while they are in college. A report about food access in Arkansas examines food deserts in the state. 
The Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance held a summit to present the findings and recommendations yesterday. The report was released by the Winthrop Rockefeller Institute and the Arkansas Governor's Food Desert Working Group, which was named in 2022 under previous Governor Asa Hutchinson. People living in food deserts called low-access areas have limited access to affordable, nutritious foods. Even if there is a nearby grocery store, people who have mobility and transportation issues may not be able to get there. Jimmy Wright, a consultant who gave the summit's keynote address, encouraged those present to seek partnerships within the community they want to serve before trying to fix a perceived need. Partner with a great community group. Perfect example that we heard from this morning. What a great group in all this. Find a group that you can work with. The people that go into these rural communities and they go into these inner city communities, they go, we got this. No, you don't. You don't understand anything. The Food Desert Working Group's full report and recommendations can be found on the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance website. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Outdoor recreation is becoming more synonymous with Northwest Arkansas with each passing day, it seems. And this weekend, you can add a new destination to the list of activities just across the Oklahoma border. The Woka Whitewater Park opens at noon Friday to kick off a sneak peek weekend. The 30-acre park is on the Illinois River about seven miles southwest of Siloam Springs near Watts, Oklahoma. The state-of-the-art facility features a 1,200-foot-long channel with eight drop features to challenge all levels of kayakers, surfers, and tubers. The park also has spectator seating. Construction of the $33 million project broke ground three years ago when the Walton Family Foundation in Bentonville provided most of the funding. WOCA, by the way, is short for Waters of Oklahoma and Arkansas. The park is a joint endeavor of Oklahoma's Grand River Dam Authority and the city of Siloam Springs. For more details, head on over to our website at nwabusinessjournal.com. A critical education announcement revealed last week in Conway that will have implications throughout Arkansas. We'll get into that after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield for more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Last week, the University of Central Arkansas in Conway announced a program that university leaders hope will create a debt free pathway to graduation. Starting next fall, incoming UCA freshmen coming from families earning up to $100,000 can opt into a program giving them a pathway to pay their tuition and mandatory fees. 
They'll be able to do so through the program called the UCA Commitment. Dr. Houston Davis is UCA's president, and he explained the program's focus in a recent interview with Roby Brock. Well, the big picture is there are a lot of people at UCA, and I would say a lot of people in higher education that are concerned about families that um, struggle to think about how they could pay for school. And um, our, our biggest concern isolates on that. Even when someone is considering the aid they have available, there's that unmet need yeah. that can be insurmountable. Um, so we, um, we began looking three or four years ago. You know about the work that we've done from a stewardship standpoint to make certain that we're putting a name and function to every dollar in the budget. How are we utilizing our scholarship dollars? How are we utilizing our student work positions and our work study? Might we begin moving towards solving this puzzle to begin making a step toward helping those families? And UCA commitment is the outgrowth of that work. Um, we will uh, make certain that those families in Arkansas, if they're thinking about how they're going to pay for um, school, when they look at UCA, we're going to make certain they're maximizing every dollar that's already available to them. They should harvest what's due to them. Um, and then we'll bridge utilize scholarship and work study to make certain they don't have to take out any loans or put credit card down to be able to cover those mandatory tuition and fees that are left. And you guys also announced that you hit $100 million, actually $109 million uh, in your capital campaign there to raise money. I'm assuming that a chunk of that gets earmarked for helping with this scholarship effort. Certainly. Uh, the last piece of that $109 million was a $10 million gift that the Wingate uh, Foundation, so generously, they've been wonderful in being a partner with us, um, have given to really be wind in the sails as we look to this next three to four years, um, the early part of this program that we expect to be around a decade from now, um, making a difference in students' lives. Some uh, of the scholarship dollars will come from that, but most of it is from the existing uh, public and private scholarships. We've been very fortunate through UCA Now Impact Arkansas and Beyond to reach that $100 million um, capital campaign goal. And a lot of that was scholarships as well as building and equipment needs for our faculty. So it was a great day. There were three or four big announcements. Right. Um, it was a big day for UCA and especially for our people that have been at UCA for a long time. I was glad they had a great day like that. They, they should be proud of all that we have to offer. Yeah. Well, and I don't mean to toot your but you should be proud too because I think that you've been uh, a leader that has had your finger on the pulse of the financial picture up there that put the university in the position to do this. You deserve credit for that, Houston. Well, well thank you. We um, had a lot of people that, that got on board with the idea that higher ed was going into a really tough stretch, and we're not even into the tough stretch yeah. yet. Um, as yeah. I talk with fellow presidents and chancellors, it's, it's 20, 25, 26, 27 that everybody is really worried about. But I'm proud of the fact that we in 2017, 2018, we started taking steps to really steel ourselves to make certain that we look up 10, 15 years from now and UCA isn't a shell of what it once was. We're actually a brighter, even more shining institution. Yeah, the, you're alluding to the fact that we know on the horizon because you can look at the demographic information and you know where the population trends are going, you know what has historically happened with people um, attending higher education, you know there's going to be a student decline That's at it. some point in time, which is ironic to me because like every university in the state this week reported record enrollment numbers. Uh, ASU, UA, uh, University of Arkansas did, UALR reversed the 13-year decline. You guys, uh, 13,000, uh, but no, what was your total? We're 10,000, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
Anyhow, so talk to me about those demographics, yeah. though. Yeah. Tell me what you see on the horizon yeah. there. What is the uh, the cliff that's coming? Yeah, the, the the real thing that you got to look at is look way beyond any of those headcount numbers that every university likes to spin out on census date. Look at the student credit hours that have been produced. That's what's happened in the last decade is there are just not as many courses being taken by as many students across an entire calendar year. Um, the challenges that higher ed is having nationally really has to do with in 2008, 2009, after the housing bubble, um, we saw a precipitous decline in birth rates um, and you just had this working its way through the pipeline, smaller and smaller cohorts of students. I joke, but you've got to be born 18 years ago to be 18 years old. We know what's coming. Yeah. So uh, there really is a general rule of thumb in the Arkansas numbers that from 2000 to 2015, the rolling average of number of high school graduates only goes up. From 2015 out to 2037, the rolling average of high school graduates only goes down. Yeah. So we... Uh, and COVID has compounded that, or will compound that at some point. The, the number too. of students that just disappeared um, from that pipeline of students um, in 2020 and 21 is further exacerbating that. So as, as we look forward to th people thinking about, well, the number of ninth graders four years ago that are um, in our halls of higher education this year, that number was made even lower. Um, I think there has been a rebound. What you're seeing in reported enrollment numbers are schools that are getting back from where they were 2021. Uh, so if you really look, ask someone what their enrollment was 10 years ago, that's the pressure they're really feeling. And as we look forward 10 years from now, public and private schools all across America really are struggling to figure out how are they going to uh, make use of a declining piece of pie. What's your undergraduate degree in? Uh, political science, public administration. Yeah, it should have been mathematics, it sounds uh, like, because this is all math well, equations. It is, uh, I, I tell people all the time, <laughs> ma math is gonna win every single time. Davis says around 45% of UCA's current students would be eligible for the UCA commitment program because they come from households meeting the 100 thousand dollar income level. We've got more reporting online on this big higher ed headline. You can find that on our sister website at talkbusiness.net. Fayetteville nonprofit Work Matters has hired Brandon Swoboda as its new president and chief executive. Board chair Steve Blair said that appointment is effective October 2nd. Swoboda spent the past five years as the executive director of the Fayetteville nonprofit Habitat for Humanity of Washington County. CEI Engineering is planning to relocate its Bentonville headquarters to a new and larger address in the city. The company has signed a lease for about 37,000 square feet in a building at the Rice Office Complex. That's north of town along Interstate 49. That will more than double the company's existing footprint just off Walton Boulevard. Now, the relocation is still a few months away. CEI, by the way, turns 50 this year and is planning an official anniversary celebration later this fall. And well-known banker Patrick Woodruff died unexpectedly over the weekend in Rogers. Woodruff was a senior vice president at Encore Bank in Rogers. A memorial service is scheduled for 10 a.m. Friday at Fellowship Bible Church in Rogers. Woodruff was just 42 years old. For all of those stories and more, visit us online at nwabusinessjournal.com where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening.
This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Timothy Dennis. We are inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio, and it is time to talk live music. And there's a bit happening this week. Good. Let's start with tomorrow night. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to welcome back Nick Shoulders to their stage. I saw that on their marquee the other day. Uh, it's the local release show for his latest effort, titled All Bad. is Riley Downing of the New Orleans-based band The Deslons, okay. which they are actually going to be playing the Gar Holidays event this December, and they are incredible. Okay. Tickets for this show tomorrow night, though, are $20 in advance. They go up to $25 at the door. Kicks off at about 9 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Also in Fayetteville tomorrow night, JJ's Live is going to have the San Diego-based rock band Switchfoot on stage. Mm-hmm. Cersei is going to provide the opening entertainment. Our friend and colleague Matthew Moore is excited about attending that. Fantastic. Tickets are $35 in advance, go up to $40 at the door. Starts at 7.30 tomorrow night. Again, that's JJ's Live in North Fayetteville. Back in downtown Fayetteville tomorrow night, Prairie Street Live is going to have the local psychedelic funk band, Monkets King, on stage. They will be supported on that bill by the hip-hop and R&B act Yongi Live. Y-O-N-G-I. Okay. Oh, so like I Yogi see. Oh. with an N in there. Yeah, I got you. Tickets are $10 in advance. Go up to $15 at the door. Starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville. Up in Bentonville tomorrow night, Bike Rack Brewing Company for their patio concert this week is going to feature Vintage Pistol. It's going to fall back in on you. It's going to fall back in on you. Last call in a minute. The last call's in a minute. Free fall to the limit. Never had, never given. Chances are this goes back. It's been a while since I've seen and or heard. Yeah, they've been around. They've been playing out of the area, in the area about once every month or so. But uh, they're still kicking. That show gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night again. That's at Bike Rack Brewing Company in Bentonville. Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville tomorrow night is going to have a blues night featuring blues guitar shredder originally from Australia, Taj Ferrand. Mm-hmm. Great guitarist. Uh, he's supported by Nathan Bryce and Loaded Dice. Great local blues band. Yep. Tickets are $35 in advance. Go up to $40 at the door. Starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Meteor in downtown Bentonville. More blues on the docket for tomorrow night. The Music Depot in Rogers is going to have Oreo Blue in the house. Speaking about people that have been here for a while, <laughs> yeah. I don't mean that in any sort of mean right, right. Yeah. That show has a $15 cover, starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, again at the Music Depot in Rogers. Chelsea's in Eureka Springs tomorrow night is going to have Magnolia Brown in the house. Mm-hmm. 
show gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that is at Chelsea's in Eureka Springs. Okay, jumping ahead to Saturday, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Lunch all day. It's going to be at the medium. Yeah. The Lunch Hour has had the summer concert series at various McDonald's throughout the region. Throughout Oklahoma and Arkansas. This is kind of the capstone event right. for that. Going to feature performances by Pure Coco, Tyler May, Eddie Canyon, and Old Man Saxon coming in from Colorado. Right. It's from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. There's going to be bounce houses, food trucks, etc. There's also a lot of other stuff going on in downtown Springdale, so come on by. And so that's free. Uh-huh. You'll be there. I'll be Making there. sure all the recording works and everything. Right. And you said there's going to be a bounce house? There is. So you've got a bounce house from 11 to 4 there, and then you hustle up to Bentonville for Candy's Kids mm-hmm. Music, and they got a bounce house. You can bounce house all Saturday long. And also, I've heard there's a Monarch Festival in downtown Springdale as well. Not for royalty, but for butterflies. Right, right, yes. right. So a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. Moving on, a little bit earlier in the morning down here in Fayetteville, if you're going to the Farmer's Market, Buddy Shoot's Motivator Trio is going to be at Jam and Java. I've down my knees, begging for you to stay. Having down on my knees, begging for you to stay. You got me sorry, you don't. And you know how I feel about Buddy. He's yeah. such a great guy. Oh, and that trio is yeah. just dynamite. Yeah. They get underway at about 9 o'clock Saturday morning again. That's at Jam and Java on the Fable Square. Okay, uh, a little bit later in the afternoon on Saturday, Prairie Street Live is going to have their event, Hill City Ramble. That's a vintage motorcycle show. Right. But they're going to have music from The Flims and TV Preacher. That starts at about 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Again, that's at Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville. Saturday evening, 612 Coffee House over in West Fayetteville is going to have local songwriter Emma Teresa in the house. That show gets underway at about 7 o'clock Saturday evening. Again, that's at 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville. Back up in Bentonville Saturday night, Meteor Guitar Gallery is going to have the local rock and roll band Bellwether Sirens in the house. Another bomb, another gun, another casualty, no one gets at all. No one gets Tickets are $8 in advance, go up to $10 at the door. That'll start at 8 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's at the Meteor in Bentonville. The Music Depot in Rogers Saturday night, having more blues in the house with Mississippi blues cat Sean Holt on stage. I can dream that I'm with you, woman, but it's not the same. Cause when I open my heart, I still have the pain. He is the son of legendary Mississippi blues man Magic Slim, and he now heads his band, The Teardrops. Tickets are $15. That starts at 7 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's at the Music Depot in Rogers. Okay, over in Eureka Springs Saturday, the Gravel Bar is going to have Chucky Wags in the house. That show starts at 7 o'clock Saturday evening. Again, that's at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. And then Pat Ryan Key is going to be playing at Gotta Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs Saturday evening. Damn. Yeah. That show gets underway at 6 o'clock. Again, that's Saturday evening at Gotta Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. And then down in Fort Smith Saturday night, 
One person who's been on our show before, Tim O'Brien. Mm-hmm. He is joined by Jan Fabrius. I believe that's how you pronounce that. Seen the lightning flash and heard thunder roll. I've endured, I've endured. How long must one endure? Tickets are 52.50, and that starts at 7.30 Saturday evening again. That's at AAC Live in Fort Smith. You can legit, if you start with Buddy Shoot mm-hmm. and that trio Saturday morning, because we've got festivals in there, right? Mm-hmm. The, the lunch all day is mm-hmm. five hours. Candies, music for the kids in Bentonville is four mm-hmm. hours. You got the Cane Hill Fall Fest. Mm-hmm. But you can legit go 18 hours yeah. of great local music, as live long, music. As long as you have the stamina for that. Well, you're going to start at Jam and Java. Well, that's true. Get get your juice first. Right. Uh, Moving on, Sunday in Fayetteville, the AMPM bar, which is down at the Quonset Huts off of Center Street, Mm -hmm. is going to feature indie rock shoegazy songwriter from Michigan, Katie Alice Greer. She is joined on that bill by the Ozark Free Music Society, and that gets underway at 6.30 Sunday evening. Again, that's at the AMPM bar here in Fayetteville. Sunday afternoon in Eureka Springs, Got a Hole Brewing is going to welcome fiddler extraordinaire Dylan Hoff to their stage. That gets underway at 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Again, that's at Got a Hole Brewing in Eureka Springs. Monday night. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville, having another person we've had on our show multiple times, John Fulbright. I last saw him, he, you know, he, he kicked off the Goalie Park concert series. Yeah. Never fails to deliver just yeah. an incredible show. If you've never seen him, oh, and I'm going to say this: even if you don't know who he is, yeah, it's worth your time and money to go. Oh, see absolutely, him. absolutely, he's so good. And tickets for it are pretty reasonable. I mean, twenty dollars in advance, go up to twenty five dollars at the door. Starts at eight o'clock Monday night. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Mm. Then finally, next Thursday, City Sessions in Bentonville is going to have Natalie Price perform. She's an Austin-based indie Americana artist. She's joined by locals Church Street on that bill. Tickets are $20. For the location, just find City Sessions on Facebook or Stubbs. They'll guide you in that direction. Starts at 7 o'clock next Thursday. Again, that's by City Sessions in Bentonville. Timothy Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you. Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. I welcome you today to a very special show. Today, 
we are celebrating a significant milestone in our journey together, Sound Perimeter 100th episode. Because of that, we open Sound Perimeter today with Versus from the Dolly Suite, Opus 56, a collection of pieces for piano duet by French composer Gabriel Fauré. Fauré composed these six short pieces between 1893 and 1896 to mark the birthday and other life events in the life of Dolly, the daughter of his beloved mistress. With this celebratory and tender music, I am reminiscing on a hundred episodes of music, old and new, that have allowed our listeners to connect with fun, inspirational, known and unknown sounds and the humans behind them. Versus from the Dolly Suite, Opus 56, a collection of pieces for piano duet by French composer Gabriel Fauré. Since 2020, Sound Perimeter has become an opportunity to expand our knowledge and celebrate diverse voices in and around music. I have had so much fun intentionally looking for and happily finding music and musicians that are not part of the so-called classical music radio mainstream. In each episode, Sound Perimeter has opened a window and offered a mirror, not only to beautiful musics, but also to beautiful identities and expressions of our world and our complex and different realities. 100 episodes is a lot, but like Chinese composer Dai Wei says, quote, our consciousness often draws a timing process. However, none of us are a witness of time, but a witness of a moment. These words accompany her piece, three pieces for a string quartet. In each movement, the composer explores different types of time perception. In the spirit of celebrating 100 episodes on Sound Perimeter today, in this precise moment, 
Let us listen to the first movement of Dai Wei work for a string quartet and the constant rhythmic grooves that at the end freeze one moment in time. That was the first movement of Dai Wei, three pieces for a string quartet, performed by Stephen Kim and Lun Lee violins, Kumbo Zhu viola, and Oliver Herbert cello, from a 2016 performance at the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia. Today, we are celebrating Sound Penimeter 100th episode. I am thankful to my collaborators and friends at KUAF 91.3, Lee Wood, Kyle Kellams, and Timothy Dennis for opening this space to share special music and ideas. And thankful to our listeners for following this experience with attention, passion, and curiosity. Thank you, and happy 100th episode to all of us. In Colombia, my native country, dance and celebrations are always together. We close out premiere today with the happy reggaeton song Mi Gente by J Balvin and Willie William. I hope the infectious energy of Mi Gente invigorates you as we get ready for the next 100 episodes to highlight the incredible tapestry of diversity in and around music. Let us dance. This is Via Uribe, Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a show written and hosted by me and produced by Timothy Dennis, KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. This segment is dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll see you soon. This is Ozarks at Large. Cane Hill is a small town in western Washington County. It was home to the first institution of higher learning in Arkansas. And the township established a post office in 1830, six years before statehood. Cane Hill is smaller now, but there's still plenty to see. Of course, one of the important features that you know, attracted the, those first European-American settlers here was... Vanessa McEwen is the executive director of Historic Cane Hill, a nonprofit dedicated to preserving the historically and culturally significant elements of the town. Vanessa and the rest of the Historic Cane Hill team will be on hand to act as hosts for the annual Cane Hill Harvest Fest Saturday. The festival includes a country breakfast, blacksmithing, music, sorghum making, and a chance for people to get inside the buildings of Cane Hill. The Cane Hill College building, constructed in 1886, is the last standing college building, representing a legacy of higher learning. Other buildings were casualties of the Civil War. The first school, Cane Hill School, opened in 1834, and then in 1858 became Cane Hill College. The original college buildings were built up on the hill, kind of behind where we're standing. Um, but this was the building that was built after a slew of fires during the Civil War and then after, after the war, um, this building was the, the last building that was built for the Cane Hill College building um, in 1886 and wasn't much longer before the college closed in 1891. So after this building closed as a college, it became a public school. And so it was used, I mean, the majority of its life was actually as a public school. And I think that's, you know, central to the story of Cane Hill and to this community. And there are a lot of people still living who went to school here and whose parents went to school here, whose grandparents went to school here. Eventually the Cane Hill School District was consolidated with Lincoln School District. The 1896 structure has been renovated and it still serves as a polling place and upstairs is an auditorium used for community meetings. A view from the top floor allows Carly Squires, Historic Cane Hills Administrative Assistant and Festival Coordinator, a chance to offer a layout of Saturday's event. So right at this corner near us where it's kind of flat, um, that used to be the basketball court. Uh, it's now where we put the music stage, so there will be live music. Um, we have Dombey Roy and the Pickin' Boys and Brickfields are playing. Um, to kind of local regional bands. But then we also have three groups that are part of the Cane Hill Roots Music Program. Um, so we are working with local students from Farmington, Prairie Grove, from right here in Cane Hill, um, learning traditional Ozark Roots music. There will be weavers and spinners inside Saturday, but outside, along with the music and the blacksmithing and antique tractors, there will be other connections to Cane Hill, 
from a different time. On the far side, you can see the sorghum shed in the, the corner there. Jared will be out there with the, the crew supervising, and you can barely see where the press is, where the draft horse will be pressing the sorghum. Jared Biggs will be monitoring the sorghum making. His family has been in Cane Hill for generations, and he says sorghum is a pioneer staple. It's a syrup made from sorghum cane that's a bit like molasses, but thinner and not as sweet. Jared says he learned the process of making sorghum from his uncle. I don't know. They say the, the you're not good at making sorghum until you're 70 years old. So <laughs> <laughs> me and my cousin have been trying to um, learn and all our lives, and but uh, he, my uncle should be there and kind of supervises. On Saturday, sorghum cane, collected from the historic Cane Hill property, will be pressed the old-fashioned way. Draft horses will slowly pull the press, and the juice from the crushed stalks will flow through a tube, aided by gravity, into a cooker with a rock chimney. It's got to be pretty hot, especially here towards the end where um, the finished product comes out over here. The process is old, but not simple. You put water in it first to get the fire going and get it, get it uh, the right temperature and so it don't burn the pan. And then you just keep a rag between the water and the juice at first and run, the, run it all the way through at the same speed you would with sorghum juice. And then uh, after all the water's run out and you pull the divider and let the sorghum molasses come out. Sorghum may be an acquired taste for 21st century mouths. And Jared Biggs admits he's not a big sorghum fan, but he says it has its attributes. The smell is something that I've always brings memories back for me, you know, uh, every time they're cooking sorghum. The smell is really good. I like the smell better than the taste, but it's... <laughs> is it a sweet smell? It is. It's the... And the... When you're cooking it, it smells different than the juice coming out, so there's, there's a lot of different smells, I guess, but it's... Um, that's one of the things that helps me or reminds me of stuff. Saturday's Cane Hill Harvest Fest is one of the biggest events of the year for historic Cane Hill, but not the only. Carly Squire says there's something happening year-round. We also are starting a new volunteer team to help out on the grounds. Um, so if anyone likes hiking, um, you can not only hike the trails, you can also help with trail maintenance. And it's even some little things like just walking and picking up sticks as you go. Doesn't seem like a huge thing, but we have... 150 acres. There's a lot of sticks that fall. Uh, so just having some extra hands help with, with stuff like that. Um, and we want to kind of, as we continue to grow, be able to to grow that team, to grow more opportunities uh, for folks to get involved. Along with the grounds, the trails, the college building, there's also a restored Presbyterian church with Working Bell. and a museum and more. Restoration and operations on this level, pretty big endeavor for such a small community. Vanessa McEwen, the executive director of Historic Cane Hill, says they've been lucky to have supporters who understand the cultural and historical value of Cane Hill's place. We've been able to restore them um, through, through that generosity. Um, but, you know, we're also realizing that, that there are, we need to bring lots of people here. And so that's, that's part of Historic Cane Hill's role is to have events and, and, you know, beyond the festival, but to have programs and events that activate these spaces and that use them. Um, and so, you know, having, having weddings here we see is very much part of our, 
our, uh, the continuation of, you know, being the backdrop of those, those uh, of life, you know, of life in Arkansas. The Cane Hill Harvest Fest is Saturday. The Ozark Country Breakfast served from 7 until 10. The festival from 8 until 3. Walk-up tickets will be available. There is free parking. This is Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large, we'll have a preview of the new Annie Leibowitz exhibition at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. We'll preview what else is happening this weekend with Becca Martin-Brown from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. We'll review some of the week's news with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics, and we'll give away tickets to this month's Format Festival. And believe it or not, even more. A packed Friday edition of Ozarks at Large tomorrow at noon and 7 on 91.3 KUAF. Hi, I'm Matthew Moore, a reporter, producer, and co-host of Ozarks at Large. As someone who reports on local news, I make it my mission to make sure the news you get is accurate. That means always being just a little bit skeptical when reading a script. Governor Hutchinson spoke with us this morning. No, he didn't. Did he? Yeah. That was my 8 o'clock interview. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, this is a cut that I got. Oh! That's who I was talking to from 8 to 810. Well, there you go. We're going to leave all this in. <laughs> Governor Hutchinson. <laughs> at Ozarks at Large, we check the facts and report the news you need. You rely on us to bring you the news every day. And during this fall fundraiser, I want to take some time to remind you, we can't do that without your support. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining member today by going to supportkuaf.com. And thanks. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Johnson. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Anna Pope, Matthew Moore, Paul Gatling, Leah Uribe, and Roby Brock. Additional reporting today came from the newsroom of KUAR Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Congratulations, Leah Rebe, with that 100th episode of Sound Perimeter. Here's to 300 more. Uh, <laughs> Timothy, <laughs> I hope she's okay with that. <laughs> Timothy produced today's show and today's Sound Perimeter inside the Herald and Blanche Cock News studio. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Timothy Dennis. Please be well and have a safe an enjoyable rest of your Thursday. And it's going to be a beautiful weekend. Yes. The Scott Family Amazium invites guests to make, tinker, and explore with regional mechanics, craftspeople, and artists at Tinkerfest, Saturday, September 23rd from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Featuring hands-on activities for the whole family, celebrating technology, engineering, art, and more. Information at amazium.org.